Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,115 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week two on a five-week series titled, Becoming a Radical Disciple. I pray that it will be a conduit for learning and encouragement for you. Thanks, Lucille. Thanks, Joey. Thank you for those who are online or listening to our messages also. We do appreciate it. do appreciate those that help out with our children's messages. And if you would like to help out with a children's message, just let Paula know. And I'm sure we can schedule you in to assist with us. Last week, we started a new series about becoming a radical disciple. And I mentioned that there were eight character traits of becoming a radical disciple that are often neglected, but deserve to be taken seriously. In addition, last week, we looked at the first character trait of nonconformity. And we considered the four major secular trends which threatened to engulf our Christian community. In the face of these, we're not called to be feeble-minded conformists, but we're called to be radical nonconformists. Last week, we looked at facing the challenge of pluralism. We are to be a community of truth standing for the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. As we face the challenge of materialism, we're to be a community of simplicity on our pilgrimage. As we face the challenge of relativism, we are to be a community of obedience to God's precepts. And as we face the challenge of narcissism, remember narcissists fell in the pond and drowned himself? Instead of that, we're to be a community of love. And today we're going to look at our second character trait, which is Christ-likeness. And throughout our lives, I know each of us ask ourselves, what is our purpose during this pilgrimage while we remain here on earth? Sometimes it seems a little futile. Sometimes we feel we're making progress. But it is this, God created us to be his imagers. And as such, God wants his people to become like Christ who is the perfect imager. For Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Therefore, as citizens of God's kingdom, as imagers of God, we should imitate the only perfect imager, which is Christ. And in today's message, we want to consider three steps in our process to Christ-likeness. First, we'll lay down a biblical foundation for the call of Christ-likeness. Second, I'll give you some New Testament examples. And third, then we'll draw some practical conclusion of what it means to be Christ-like. So first, the biblical foundation of the call to Christ-likeness. And the foundation is not found in just a single text of Scripture. For the foundation has to be much more substantial and can be summed up in one text. Instead, the foundation consists of three texts which will connect the past the present, and the future, as we have just a glimpse of what we are to be like 
when we're Christ-like. The first text is Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that was Christ, or God in the past. He foreknew who would be his sons. Second text is 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18. He says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And before I read the third text, we need to understand that the perspective in these two verses change from the past to the present. We learn that God's foreknowledge was before our present transformation by the Holy Spirit. For God's eternal purpose is to make us like Christ to his historical work of the Spirit and to transform us to become an imager like Christ. And that takes us to our third text, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Since God is working to this end, it's no wonder that he calls us to cooperate with him when he says to follow me and to imitate me. So as we look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 again, we don't know in detail exactly what we will be like when we're like, completely like Christ, but we do know that we will be like him. Therefore, there really is no need for us to know more than that. We need to be content with the glorious truth that we will be with Christ and we will be like Christ. And it reminds me of an infant that we play peekaboo with. And when our eyes are covered, or their eyes are covered even, that's all they see. But we get glimpses when we peekaboo what Christ is like. And when we see, we see just images of what we will be like. When we're fully like Christ, we just get those various glimpses of him. So here are the three perspectives, the past, the present, and the future which are all pointing in the same direction. When you're taking a trip, you start out in one place, you travel through a different place, and you end up at your end destination. And that is what our Christ-likeness is like. We're advancing for God's eternal purpose. For God knew in advance who would have believing loyalty. Now, there was, some would be say that, Christ, that God chooses who will be his children. Like, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Hopefully, I'm not pointing to anybody in particular. But that's not what God did. God has foreknowledge. He knew in the past who would accept him, and he brought them into his family. There's a difference between foreknowledge and predestination. What God foreknew doesn't mean that he particularly chose some to be in and some to be out. He foreknew those who would have believing loyalty in him. God's historical purpose is that we're changed daily and we're transformed 
by the Holy Spirit. But God's final, what's called eschological, which is another big word that I have a hard time saying, let alone understanding, but it means the future purpose. We will be like Christ completely. And these all combine toward the same end, which is Christ's likeness. And there's one phrase I would like you to take from this message, if you don't get anything else, that Christ's likeness is the purpose of God for the people of God. Christ's likeness is the purpose of God for the people of God. And if we claim to be Christians, we must be like Christ if we are going to become a radical disciple. It's the very foundation. It's like the house that was built on the bedrock that we studied about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the very foundation to be like Christ. And having established this biblical foundation that Christ-likeness is the purpose of God for the people of God, I want to now move to illustrate this truth in several New Testament examples. And the first one is a general statement from 1 John 2, verse 6. Those who say they, will, they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Therefore, if we claim to be Christians, remember last week we talked about little Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch. And those who were outside of the church used it sort of as a derogatory term, little Christ. But if we claim to want to be little Christ, we must be like Christ. So I want to explore five New Testament examples of how we'll be like Christ. I have an overhead with those five examples on it, so follow along with me as we go through each of these five. The first example is we are to be like Christ in his incarnation. And that's another big word. Incarnation means God in the flesh. And some may immediately recoil at the horror and from such an idea and say, surely, you say, the incarnation was altogether a unique event and cannot be imitated. Well, the answer to that is both yes and no. It is yes in the sense that God's son took on humanity when he became the Jesus of Nazareth. This was a one-time occurrence for all. And that will never be repeated. There's never a need for God to take on flesh again because he did it once for all. But it's also no in the sense that we are called to follow the example of that great humility that Christ took on. And that humility is perfectly described in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, when Paul wrote to that church, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God... He did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So we are to be incarnate in that we take on that humble servant that Christ did. We are to be like Christ in his service, which is our second example. So we move on from incarnation to a life of service. So come with me on a journey back to that last supper where Christ had his disciples around the table and they were sharing with each other that last supper that Christ would share with them. And during that supper, he put a towel around himself and went 
to each disciple, and he poured water in the basin, and he washed their feet to clean them from their daily walk of sin. He then took out that towel, and he dried their feet. You know that position that he did before his disciples? That was the lowliest position that any household servant could have. It was the position of the lowest slave in the house who would greet the visitors to the home with a pitcher of water in a basin and wash the dust from their feet. And God took on that example as a lowly servant performing the lowest duties of a household servant for his disciples. And when they came back together, after he had washed his feet, he resumed his place at the table. And John chapter 13, verse 14 and 15 says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, he acknowledged he was still their Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. And that's Christ-like in his servant. And you might ask, well, are we to wash each other's feet today? Like my brother-in-law's church, which is a, a grace Baptist Brethren, Grace Brethren Church, they practice the act of foot washing occasionally during their communion services. Are we to do that? Well, I see nothing wrong in doing that as a remembrance, and some churches do. However, I think what Christ was really getting across here is to transpose that into a common cultural setting that we have today. And that is that Jesus performed what his culture would consider a work of a slave. And so we must, in our culture, be willing to serve others in such a, such a manner. No task is too menial or degrading for us as believers to undertake. Now, I think in our own society, the closest to that would be possibly someone who shine shoes, that would take people's dirty shoes, clean them all up, and polish them to a brilliant polish. That would be something similar to what Christ had done there. So we're to be like Christ in his service, but we're also to be like Christ in his love, our point number three. As Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, live a life filled with love, Following the example of Christ, he loved us and have offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And when I think of a pleasing aroma, I think of a griddle full of bacon or a grill with steaks on it or that are grilling. Oh, that's such a pleasing aroma. And I think most of us can relate to that. Something in your life that is just such a pleasing aroma but for Christ, our example to be Christ-like is to live a life filled with love. In this command, that all of our behavior should be characterized by love. Because Christ, he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. That pleasing aroma. And it's clear that this is a reference to the cross. 
So Paul is urging us to be like Christ in his death, and that is to love with a Calvary love. Love as he loved us on the cross. You see what's happening so far in our Christ-likeness? Paul urges us to be like Christ in his incarnation, to embody the humility that Christ did. In his foot washing, to be the willing to be the lowest of all servants. And then to be a pleasing aroma to others by the sacrifice that we make for them. These events in the life of Christ indicate what Christ-likeness means in practice. These are practical examples found in the same chapter of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul urges husbands, so you who are husbands, take note. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Of course, it could be wives to her husbands also. Are you willing to give up everything for your spouse? That's the kind of love that Christ gave for us. And that takes us to our fourth example, which is we are to be like Christ in our patient endurance. Endurance is something that we all struggle with, isn't it? To be patient and endure. And now we're considering not the teaching of Paul, but of Peter. And every chapter of Peter in his first letter contains an allusion to the sufferings of Christ. For the letter's background was at the beginning of a massive persecution of the church when Paul or Peter wrote 1 Peter. The church was starting to be persecuted severely. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 in particular, Peter urges Christian slaves, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they treat you as kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Now, we've been called to suffer for Christ, and in America, that's not too difficult, is it? But he's leaving us an example that we may follow. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Here is your example that you must follow his steps. The call to Christ-likeness is a call to suffering. And even if it's unjust, if we're treated unjustly, and it may become increasingly prevalent even in our country. And if it does, it doesn't mean that we are to not accept that suffering. Because that might be what God has for us as believers in order to be a radical disciple. And the last example is we are to be on a like Christ in his mission. We looked at the teachings of Paul and the teachings of Peter, and now let's come to the teachings of Jesus. As recorded in the Gospel of John, in prayer, Jesus prayed to his Father in John chapter 17, verse 18, just as you have sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. Jesus acknowledged before his father, you sent me to the world for a purpose, a particular task. Now I'm sending my disciples, which include us, not just his close-knit disciples of that day. In his commissioning in John chapter 20, verse 21, 
Jesus said, again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And these words have immense significance. These statements from Jesus are is not only a version of the Great Commission recorded in the Gospel of John, but also our instruction to their mission, our mission to the world, which is to resemble what Christ did. But you might ask, in what respect do you mean? The key words here are, sent me into the world. So as Christ was sent into the world, he is sending us. We are to enter God's other people's worlds. Just as Christ entered our world, he became a human and entered our world. We're to become such that we enter other people's lives into their worlds so that we can understand, so that we can be Christ to them. We display and practice a faith when we place ourselves inside the doubts of those who are doubting inside the questions of those who are questioning, inside the fears of those who are fearful, and inside the loneliness of those who have lost their way. And this is how we're to be like Christ, to other people, as Christ is to us. And when God entered the world as a human, it was a call to incarnation, which means to embody. We're to embody other people by reaching them and touching them where they are. Not saying, well, come over here and clean yourself up, and then I can help you. No, you're supposed to get down and wash their feet. Get down in the dust and the grime to be where they are. That way, you can help them to see their need for Christ. Entering other people's worlds is what it is meant by incarnational missions. And all genuine missions are incarnational missions. That means we become like those that we're serving, not in a sinful manner, but to their very soul where they're hurting. We're to be like Christ in this manner. As we review these five steps to be Christ-like, we're to be Christ-like in his incarnation, in his service, in his love, in his patient endurance, and in his mission. These are the five ways that we are to be like Christ. But let me conclude with three practical consequences for the basis as an example for our Christ-likeness that we need to consider. We need to consider Christ-likeness when we suffer, the mystery of suffering. We ask, why do people like Donna suffer for years? with a terrible disease? Why do people like my dad go through Alzheimer's or dementia for years? We don't understand it always. Of course, suffering is a vast subject in itself. And there are many ways that Christians can try to understand why we suffer. But one stands out is that suffering is part of the process of God making us to become more like Christ. Maybe not even for the person who's going through the suffering, but we who have to deal with it, those who are going through suffering. So whether it's disappointment, frustration, illness, or something we don't understand, 
we need to try to see it in the light of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, as we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He knows our suffering and what we'll go through. And he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. His son, Jesus Christ, suffered the ultimate sacrifice for us. And according to these verses, God's always working for his good purpose for his people. And this good purpose is to make us like Christ, not necessarily to keep us from our suffering. We also see Christ's likeness in the challenge of evangelism. Why is it that our evangelistic efforts don't always produce the results that we, sh that we would think they should? Well, I could give several reasons probably, and I don't want to oversimplify it. But one of the main reasons that we're not more effective is that we don't look like the Christ that we proclaim. In other words, we're not the salt or the light that we should be. We need to be saltier. We need to have our light shine brighter, not to hide it under a, a bowl. The most effective preaching does not come from this pulpit or any pulpit in the world, but it does comes from those who embody what the Bible says. We individually, each one of us individually, and us as a corporately as Putnam Church and the Church Universal, are the message that the world needs to hear. Radical disciples need to look and live like they are citizens of God's kingdom. We need to live authentically, a life that we claim to be as disciples. We will impact those that cross our path of life. The moment of insincerity, people see that we're insincere or not authentic, can cast doubt on all that we've communicated previously. The world craves authentic people, authentic disciples, who earnestly show the love of Christ. And the last item is Christ-likeness in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Today our focus is on the second characteristic of becoming a radical disciple, which is Christ-likeness. But the question is, how is it possible for us I'm a frail human being. I have my problems. If you want a detail, just ask Paula. I'm sure she could probably list them for you. And each of us do. And we might say, it's not possible, but in our own strength, it's not. But it is possible when we have the Holy Spirit that will enable us to fulfill that spirit or that purpose and if the Spirit of Jesus can come live in me, then I can live like him. So God's purpose is to make us like Christ, and God's way is to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And shortly before his coming crucifixion and subsequent resurrection, Jesus informed his disciples that the Holy Spirit would help them to live like him. And this is a little bit of a lengthy, it's about six verses here, but it's John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. And this is what Christ told his disciples shortly before he departed the earth. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate 
who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will live in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live in you, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am with the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So this is how we become Christ-like, by allowing Christ to dwell within us through the Holy Spirit. And our response is just one. And this promise is found in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we become Christ-like. During this series of Becoming a Radical Disciple, I asked you last week to take time during the week to read Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And I'd like to encourage you to do it again. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know, learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's how we become like Christ. By changing the way we think, allowing Christ to dwell within us. Those are the first two character traits. Last week was nonconformity. This week is Christ-likeness. Next week, we're going to look at maturity and something you might seem might not seem like Christ-likeness, but our care for God's creation. Many times, Christians have been guilty of not being concerned of the creation that God cared, created for us. So we'll look at those two aspects next week in our character traits of becoming a radical disciple. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time where we can just Focus on Christ-likeness. Help us to be like Christ because we know your purpose for us is to be an imager in such a way that we image Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the precious believers that are here today and those that are joining us online and those that haven't been able to join us today. We do pray for those that are hurting because of loss of loved ones, those are hurting because of illness or grief. Might you encourage them and help us as your disciples, as your radical disciples, to be like Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, 
lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.